Good morning. How's everybody today? Good week? Everybody have a good week? Oh, yeah, yeah. How many of you didn't have a good week? How many of you didn't have a week? <laughs> yeah, I didn't feel like I had a week. I felt like I had about five days and I had to try to squeeze the other two in. Glad you're here this morning. And listen, let me tell you, uh, Kenzie, you, you don't know you've been blessed. I, I don't let people get up and make announcements. I don't let people get up and talk a lot. So, uh, but this was important, what we're doing. This is, this is our local mission. We had three missions we were supporting over the last year. This was our local mission we've been supporting, Discovery Clubs. And let, let me say this. If you have this much interest, but you got all these questions, but I don't know if I could. I was thinking so many things. I, I went and uh, watched a club last year just for one afternoon and uh, after school. And I, I, as I was sitting there, I was thinking so many questions people will have that will keep them from doing this because they're thinking, well, I, I don't know if I can go in and handle a bunch of kids by myself. You don't have to be by yourself. If you've got any interest whatsoever, you need to talk to Kenzie and let her set you up to just go and, and see a club one afternoon and just see if this is for you because uh, they, do, they do need help. It's an amazing thing they're doing. And you saw we were using old stats. She mentioned that in early service. She, she wouldn't be an ugly, but she mentioned that, that we had old stats, that were over 1,000. And now this year, by doubling the number of Actually, they had almost 2,000 last year, so by doubling the number of schools this year, they're, they're going to have over 3,000, probably 4,000 kids that they're going to be ministering to, but they need about 90 more volunteers. Hey, that's about uh, how many we've got in the sanctuary right now, you know, so we, you know, everybody sign up and we can get it covered, amen, or owe me or whatever. Okay, uh, and I do want to say one other thing. I, I don't like to just repeat announcements and those kinds of things, but next Sunday, I want you to get this, uh, next Sunday, because some of you are early morning, uh, early service people, you just here for the late service, for, I want you to know, next week we're going to have one service at 11 a.m., but uh, we got a lot of things to do, so if you want to show up early and help us because we're doing church out in the parking lot, and some have already asked what we're going to do if it's got bad weather. Don't even speak that. We're not thinking that, none of that. If you think that this week, you pray about it, okay? Don't pray that your attitude gets right. Pray that the weatherman does his job for us, okay? But uh, we're doing the service out in the parking lot. We're doing worship out there, and we're doing a water baptism. Uh, so this thing hit me, uh, you know, just several months ago, thinking, man, we, we talk about water baptism being a public testimony, and then... We come in in church and do it. Or we, last time we did it, we did it in somebody's backyard inside of a fence. You know, I mean, we, 30 or 40 people there gathered. That's not a public testimony. We're going to make it public this year. So if uh, you have started, okay, I want everybody to hear this. I want you to look at me. I want you to listen to me. And let me tell you this. If you are a Christian, if you're a Christ follower and you've never been baptized in water, you need to be baptized in water next Sunday. And this, is, this would be an awesome time to do it. Be a part of the very first truly, truly, truly public water baptism that Church 2911 has, and we're doing uh, lunch afterwards. Invite everybody you can. We'd love to have a huge crowd. We want several hundred out there just cheering in because this, this is a celebration day, and we would really like for you to be here. And even if you're not being baptized, invite your family and friends to come. Say so this is going to be a cool thing. We've got lunch provided afterwards and all that, so we're going to have a, a great time of fellowship. And, and if you need to know more, uh, ask an usher, ask a staff member. Go on the website, and you'll find a place where you can sign up and register. We want to give you a T-shirt. It's our gift to you. We want you to wear it that day as you're being baptized. We've got a lot of reasons for that, but we want you to have that. Wear it that day and be baptized in water, and then wear it around town for the next six months until you wear it out or whatever, okay? Okay, so we're going to get into our message this morning. Uh, frequently asked questions, like last week, going to kind of answer three. There's one main question we're going to answer today in the message, and then I've got a couple that are kind of supporting answers uh, or supporting questions that kind of really... Uh, answer that one as well. And this week we're really dealing with why does God allow suffering or why is there suffering in the world or however you want to ask that question. 
Let's have a word of prayer. Would you join me? Father, I love you. Thank you, God, for all the good things that you're doing in our life. God, thank you, God, for, uh, Lord, I've heard testimonies this morning, God, how you've ministered to people, God, people that have been sick this week, how you've healed them, God. You've done great things for them, and Lord, we just need you to do it again, Lord, for uh, all these, God, two important, urgent requests, God, today, Lord, for uh, all of these families, God, families that are struggling. Lord, and I pray that you help us, Lord, with these questions. We have these questions, God, we're asking these questions. And God, we're asking them in such a, such a, such a small-minded attitude, in such a finite way. God, help us open, our, open ourselves up to see, see how you look and view these things, God. The, the eternity, God, with which you see these things. And I pray, God, that you help us, uh, help us understand these things, not in our, our, little small, our little small ways, our little small lives, our, our little small worlds, but, God, you help us see these things in, in, in the big picture, God, of what you're doing for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, frequently asked questions. And the first one, the, the main one today is, why does God allow suffering in the world? Now, Let's be honest. How many of you have asked that question, even if not out loud, you've asked it in your own heart? Okay, come on. Uh, 20 of you are being honest, and the rest of you are saying, I can't admit that. You know, that, 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 proves, that proves I've got doubt. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that you've got doubt. Go back to the Old Testament. Read through the Old Testament. You'll find all those prophets who wrote all those amazing things of God. They also had questions of God. I think of David maybe more than anybody. I mean, man. The man after God's own heart, and he had a question. So maybe our questioning of God isn't a bad thing. Maybe it's a good thing because he was a man after God's own heart, and he was asking those questions. So that's a good thing. But here's the true concern with this question right here, is there's a hint inside of this question that we doubt whether God is really good and loving like he says he is. Because if God were really a great, loving God, he wouldn't allow suffering, would he? Now, that's, that's how you get messed up in philosophy, right, in class, in, in, in college, right? That's what, they, that's what they told you. I mean, I spent an entire semester in, in a philosophy class at UAB, and it's like every, every other week, you know, it's like we come to class, uh, you know, actually it's t- twice a week, and we come to class, and, and you know, that day he would, give us a, he would give us an argument of why he proved God didn't exist. And this was one of the reasons he, he, he proved God didn't exist. And then, then we'd come back to class the next time, and he would break that down, and he would actually give us an argument of why God does exist. And then we'd come back the next week, and he'd tear that down and, and just on and on and on. And that's how we get messed up is because we hear all this argument stuff instead of looking beyond our own wisdom and our own ability to see things and see things the way God intended them, okay? So, for instance, here's a, here's a way I think, I think we need to look at it, and this is a way that you can all relate to. Anybody ever gotten a, gotten a ticket for running a stop sign or for speeding? Anybody ever done? Yeah, y'all being honest this morning, aren't you? Yeah. You know, here, here's, you know, here's the thing is the government puts out, you know, the policemen, the government, they, you know, they put out all these stop signs and speeding signs, out, and then they have the nerve to stop and give us a ticket when we don't abide by them, Right? You know, they have the nerve. And you know, that's pretty close to what this question is. I dare you, the next time somebody asks you this question, why, if God is good, God, why would he allow suffering and pain in the world? I dare you to dare them to run the very next stop sign they see and get pulled over and get a ticket when the policeman is walking up and staring down and they roll the window down. I dare, tell them, I dare you to look up into his face and say, why are you bringing all this suffering into my life today through this? Because that's exactly the same thing we do when we ask God, why do you allow suffering in the world? We got it backwards. We got it confused. We, we've, got, we've got our focus off of the real important things, and we've gotten our focus on our own selves. I mean, really, uh, there's, a, there's a comment a little later, you know, don't get ahead of me there in, in your outline, but 
this narcissistic society and culture that we are growing up in makes it all about us. And so we want to point our finger at God and say, why are you doing this to us? And that's not what's going on, okay? There are a couple of parts to this answer. There's a lot of things to this answer. But two things I want to give you real quick. One of them is there is a law. There's always a law. I'm sorry, there is a law. I'm going to tell you in a minute why there are laws, why there are rules. But there is a law, okay? And uh, we find the very, let's go to the very first law that man was ever given. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. So he tells Adam and Eve, you're free to eat from any tree. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You must, the one law, God says you can do, you know, do anything you want to here in this garden. You've only got one law. And, you know, there's a lot of people say, well, God's just got too many laws. The Bible's got too many rules. You know, if I didn't have so many rules, I could, I could do pretty good. No, Adam had one law, and he couldn't even keep it. I mean, we don't know how long it was before he broke it, but it kind of looks like he didn't, take any, he didn't waste any time in breaking that law. It looks like pretty quick, you know, they moved right on in. I mean, we don't have, we don't have any storyline between it, you know. So, I mean, it could have been 10,000 years or whatever. I don't know, but it looks like, man, it's almost like God gives him a law, and tomorrow morning he's breaking it. And that's the way we are with just one law. And you know what? I thought how symbolic. I was thinking about this. I never thought about this before. But most of us in our lives, we have one law that we just struggle with and struggle with and struggle with. I mean, we've all got something that is our bailiwick. It's our thing. It's, you know, it's the thing that we're going to fail in this week. If we, if we sin, if we mess up, if we have a problem this week, we've all got one thing that we're going to mess up with. I mean, if some of you, some of you, it's really something serious, you know, like you've got an addiction or something that you're struggling with in that way, and maybe not a chemical addiction, maybe, maybe an emotional addiction to something, you know, maybe a sexual addiction to something. Some of you, you've got something so silly. Some of you, some of your thing is gossip. Oh, but gossip's not a real sin, is it? I mean, you know, we, we, just, we just like to share so each other can pray, you know, for those kinds of things. I remember hearing a preacher one time, many, many years, when I was a kid, and, and, and back, in, back in my day, you know, you, you didn't joke that much, uh, so much in, in, in your sermons and those kinds of things, but I remember him there, and he really made everybody mad pretty much, you know, because he was talking about gossip, he was, this was in a revival, and he was really serious about stuff, and he said, some of you ladies, you know, you, you gonna go to hell over gossip. I mean, that's just your, that's just your sin, you just won't let go of it, and you're going to go to hell over gossip. He said, no, not me. He said, oh, I almost called his name. I, I don't think he would, he would mind if I did anyway. But he, he, said, he said, hey, if, I'll go ahead and tell you. He said, if E.L. Terry goes to hell, I'm going to have an affair or something. I'm going to go to hell over something worth going to hell over. <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't sit well with a whole lot of traditional people back in those days. But, I mean, think about, you know, some of you, you got this, some of you got a big law that you can, are struggling with. Some of you got a little bitty one that you're struggling with. Whatever they are, you know, it's like we've all got our one law. But with the law, there comes a penalty. And he gives it right there. He says, you shall surely die. But let's, let's look at it. In the book of Romans chapter 5, Paul is referring back to Adam. And he says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everybody has sinned. Here's the penalty. It's when Adam sinned, all this stuff came into the world. Adam has a huge burden to bear for the rest of eternity because it was his sin that opened the door. And so suffering is in this world today, not because of God, but because of Adam, because he broke the law. And because he broke that law, the penalty has come, and the penalty has come to all of us. And we all have the suffering and the pain and the sorrow and the death and the sickness. All these things have come into the world today because of Adam's sin. If Adam hadn't sinned, we would all still be living in the Garden of Eden today. 
Everything would be perfect. I mean, we'd be eating of every tree. We'd just have that one rule over there to, that we'd have to, we'd have to deal with if, if Adam hadn't sinned. But because he sinned all this, now bring that down into your life. Just microcosm it right down into your life and understand that's what's going on. It's not that God is sitting in heaven. He's not this big old ogre in heaven on a throne wanting to bring all this junk into your life. No, he has given to us the ability, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. He has given to us the ability to get beyond all these things, but what is happening in your life is you are breaking a law here or there or whatever, and that's the stuff that's bringing it into your life. So why do there have to be rules? How many of you like rules? I was really expecting some of you OCD people to say, me, me, me. <laughs> Give me another list of them. I'll live by them this week too. But we don't really like rules. Now listen, I, I, really, I really feel just a little silly sharing this with you right here. Okay, this is the point I really feel a little silly sharing with you, but when we ask silly questions, we need to get treated a little silly, don't we? <laughs> I mean, I really feel like this is, a, this is the point I need to go downstairs with the children's church and share with them. But let me share it with you in case you're asking the question. And, and this is why rules. Rules. Did, did your parents, when you were growing up, and some of you are still living at home with your parents, do they give you rules because they want you to fail? No, they give you rules because they want you to succeed. That's why God has given us rules. He wants us to succeed, not fail. He wants us to be protected, not have harm. I mean, that, you know, that 70 mile an hour, uh, mile per hour sign on the interstate is not because God doesn't want to, or because the police don't want you to have a good time out there. They don't want you to kill anybody while you're out there. I mean, the, uh, the drunk driving laws and the, the, the rules, that's not because nobody wants you to have a good time is because they don't want you out there driving drunk killing somebody it's for our protection not harm it's to bring joy not pain it's to bring peace not regret that's why there are rules that's why these things are there that's why that's why they're put in place and that's why God has given us rules and you know really there's only two rules but uh, Jesus said as we talked about this last week there's only two rules and on all those two rules hang all the law and the prophets and so sometimes you know you know you know in the old testament we see that it's almost like they were trying to legislate morality God had to keep giving them rules because you know we keep getting over in these gray areas maybe this isn't sin or whatever but but Jesus reminded us he says there are basically two big rules one of them is love God with everything you got the other is love your neighbor as yourself and everything else hangs on that and if you don't know whether something's right or wrong really dig into that and you'll figure it out because everything else hangs on to that and this is why there are rules. Because God wants you to be a success. Because God wants you to be protected. Because God wants you to have joy. Because God wants you to have peace. And if you don't abide by the rules, you know what you get? You get all this stuff over here. You get failure. You get harm. You get pain. You get regret. That's what happens when you don't abide by the rules. And that's not God doing this. Lamentations. Let me show, let me show you this. In the book of, in the book of Lamentations. This is, this is what God says. He says he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. He does not willingly, he doesn't, he doesn't do anything like that. He does not willingly want, to, he doesn't want to bring affliction or grief. It's not his desire to do this. I mean, we've got this wrong idea and attitude about who God is and what he's, he doesn't willingly, do, so if he doesn't willingly do it and it happens, that means somebody has made him do it. Somebody has forced him to Somebody has caused it to happen. It's not God making it happen in our life. We're making it happen in our life. If bad comes to us, it's not God sitting up there saying, I think I'll zap that one today. You know, uh, you know he hadn't had any tough times in a long time. I think I'll get Matt this morning because he hadn't had any tough times this week. That's not God. It's not God doing this thing. 
I want you to get this, is that God is not doing this. I was reading stats this past week. You know, we're almost five years or so into this mortgage crisis. And by the end of this year, nine million people, nine million families will have lost their homes due to foreclosure in this crisis. Can I tell you something? God didn't make those loans. And I, sometimes, we lose, sometimes we lose stuff because we lose a job or whatever. And I'm, I'm not saying you were bad and do, you know, if you if you lost a home for whatever. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, listen, God didn't borrow that money. God didn't sign on the bottom line saying he'll make those payments that he knew he couldn't make. That wasn't God. That was us. The, the lending that was done, God wasn't the one lending the money. God wasn't the one making the decision. All, all of this has happened. It's not God's fault. And, so, and some people are standing here saying, why would God allow all these families to lose their homes? God didn't do this. There are 30,000 uh, 30, kids that are going to be born this year with fetal alcohol syndrome. 30,000 kids are going to be born this year in 2011 with fetal alcohol syndrome. Guess what? God didn't drink the alcohol when he was pregnant with your child. God didn't do this. There are 17 million women living in the United States of America today with the pain and the sorrow and the horror and the nightmare of being raped. God didn't do that. Tonight, when you lay down and go to bed and you're thinking about maybe having that one last little, uh, I think I'll have a midnight snack, you know, one last little thing, I want you to remember this, is that when you lay down to go to sleep, there are 17 million kids in this country, not across the world, 17 million kids who will go to sleep tonight hungry. And you know what? God didn't blow their lunch money on something for him this past week. He didn't take their milk money. He didn't take their food money. He didn't take their grocery money and go blow it on something else and do something else with it. And you say, oh, but, but we had to make the payments. You know, we, we couldn't have enough food because we had to make the payments. Again, God didn't sign on the dotted line for those payments that you had to make with this. I mean, God is not doing this. Every six minutes in this country, a child is sexually abused. God's not doing this. Let me tell you who's doing this. We are doing it. I'm not talking about the guy who abused. We are doing this. I don't have to, here's, here's a whole sermon right here that I don't have time to preach to you about. But in our demand for sexual freedom in this country, we are sexually abusing our kids. Our demand for sexual freedom and have anything we want on the internet and anything we want in movies our demand as a society to be sexually free and to not have anybody give us any rules about what is right or wrong sexually is what is building a society that is abusing one kid every six minutes in this country. And God did not do that. Somebody help me and say amen. He did not do that. God is not doing this to us. We're doing it to ourselves. And so here comes another question. It's why would a loving God send people to hell? Now, any of you really mean-spirited Christians out here, I'm, you're probably thinking of some of those stats. That's why God's sending people to hell. But I, I want to answer a question for you because the answer is we got to change your attitude about the way you're looking at things, okay? Because I want to I introduce you to God again. I want you to get to know the God of who He says He is, okay? Not who we've begun to believe He is in this country, but who He says He is. And we've got four scriptures for you. You've got them right there. We're going to read through them real quick. 
Four scriptures that will tell us a little bit about who God is. First one is here. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones. All that's not important. I didn't set this up. There's a phrase right here that you need to get in this last part. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Whatever eternal punishment, whatever, whatever punishment is waiting for the unrighteous after death, after this life is over, was not intended for any human. That's what the scripture says right there. He says, I didn't do this for you. Why are you going? If anybody, if any human goes there, they will not go there in God's direction. He didn't, he created this eternal fire for the devil and his demon. You know, those devils that have been chasing after uh, human, humankind ever since God created us. The devils and demons that are after you all week long that are trying to destroy everything that God is trying to build in your life. God has created an eternal place of punishment for them for eternity. That's who he's created it for. He never intended. He never intended a human being to ever end up there. Improve it to you. Next Next verse. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. But he is patient with you. Because... He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. God doesn't want anybody to perish. He created that for the devil and his demons, and he doesn't want any human beings to perish. He's slow sometimes because he's patient. He wants to give you time because he doesn't want you to perish. You remember John 3, 16? It says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He goes on in verse, three, in verse 17 and says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus' mission was not to condemn. Amen. That's not why he, he didn't come here to condemn. Thank God. Amen. Man, I, I stood in the first service this morning. I, and I asked God, I, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but... It might happen to you somewhere down the road in the ministry. But I stood in the first service this morning before, while we were concluding the, the praise and worship, the last song, I stood there, and, 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 I, was, and I, I, I offered to God, God, I don't have to preach this morning. You got somebody else? To, because I'm not worthy. You know, the, the life I live, the things I've thought, the places I've been, the things I've done, who I am, I'm not worthy to stand here and tell you about this great loving God. But you know what? I remembered this verse right here. God, his mission wasn't to condemn me. I don't have any condemnation today. That was not his mission, was to condemn us over all the past and all the mistakes that we've done and the things that, that we've got in our memories that we can't get rid of. And, oh, I wish I hadn't done. I wish I hadn't said. I wish I hadn't been. I wish I hadn't. All these things. That's not who he is. And lastly, it says, this last verse, it says, for I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. I like the fact that he didn't just say, says God. <laughs> I like he said, this is what the sovereign, sovereign Lord declares. I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, so repent and live. The sovereign Lord, the one who sits on the throne, the one who has decided when the beginning is going to be and when the end is going to be, the one who has decided all things, and the one who created the hell for the devil and his angels and says, I don't want any, he says, I take no pleasure in anybody's death. 
Now see this, this narcissistic culture that you and I are growing up in today, they have so distorted and tainted the image of God, it is literally destroyed in most of our view that we don't even know who God is anymore. And this is who He is. He is a God that has prepared an eternal place of punishment for your enemy, and He doesn't want you to die. He, he doesn't want anyone to die. As a matter of fact, He takes no pleasure in the death of any single man. And then I think about people like Judas who sold his son out. Oh, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. And I think about even the men, the people who have been responsible for the 17 million women who are living with the horror of rape today. And even for them, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of any. You know, we need to quit blaming God for being the God we've created in our minds. And we need to start looking and seeing who He really is. And that leads me into the third question. Why do you Christians put so much emphasis on the Bible? It's because of what it is. It's because of what it is because the Word of God tells us it is God-breathed. Let's look at our scripture right here. It is Simon Peter says, Lord, I'm sorry, all scriptures give is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Verse 17, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is God breathed. That's why we put so much emphasis in it. It is God breathed. It is God's breath. It's because everything has been so confused and so messed up and what, what we believe about God and who God is is such a mess in our minds. That's why we need the Bible because it's the breath of God. It's like a fresh breath of air because you hear about this God that allows suffering and wants to send people to hell and then when you read these verses of Scripture that say, that ain't who I am. I don't want anybody to perish. It's fresh breath. It's the breath of God. It's who He is. And so when we're hearing all this junk out here about who God is, we go back to His autobiography, and that's what the Bible is. I read somebody several months ago that said, we're so self-centered, we think the Bible is all about us. The Bible's about God. It's His autobiography. It tells us who He really is. So the questions, this, all these questions this morning... The answer is not in seeking out an answer. The answer is readjusting your thinking because you're asking the wrong questions. It's not why does God allow, it's why are we bringing so much suffering into our lives? Why do we put so much stock in the Bible? Skip, skip some and you need this because you got some empty spots on your outline. So we'll back up and grab it. It's because the Bible is either definitive and it is like an abs it is a final absolute it is either definitive and absolute or it is nothing when god says it is my word <coughs> you can't you can't say well it's kind of god's word how is something kind of god's word it's like that thing of the, you know being a little bit pregnant well i'm just a little bit pregnant and the bible is a little bit full of god's word no it either is or it ain't it is either God's word completely, totally, 100%. And you can't take it and say, well, I believe this part. I don't believe it. it is. And that's why we put so much emphasis on it. 
It is not one book of many that we read. It is the God breath. And here's the last thing. <coughs> John chapter 6, there's, a, there's an interesting thing that happens. And, and I think this happens in, the, it happens in the history of every ministry. Is there is a, there's a time where everything is great and everything is wonderful and my goodness, yeah, we're just having a good fun time, Sunday morning type stuff, you know. Everybody likes Sunday morning. Come in, they sing a song, make us feel good even in our sin. He died for us and we feel so good about that. But then there comes a time where God says, okay, you know, no, wait a minute. You're enjoying the love I have for you, but we got to get back to that place of love God with everything you've got. And that doesn't mean an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday. Love him with your Monday. And love him with your Tuesday. And love him with your Wednesday. And love him with your Thursday. And love him with your Friday. And love him with your Saturday. And then when you get to those places, you know what happens? People start finding other things to do and other places to be and other places to go. They start getting pulled away. And that's what happened. Jesus Christ, he was walking across the countryside speaking and teaching and preaching. Healing people, raising people from the dead, touching eyes that had been blind and never seen in their life, and they would have their sight back. All these things were happening, and he had thousands. I mean, back in those days, that was a huge crowd. I mean, they didn't have mass transportation, and everybody didn't have four cars in their garage, you know? And for when we know two times Jesus had 5,000 families in one place, Jesus had 7,000 families in another. That is a huge crowd back in those days. And he had all these huge crowds, and then all of a sudden, he started talking about the Monday through Saturday stuff. He said, he started talking about taking up your cross and following me. And you know what happened? They started leaving. They started going the other way. Everybody likes a Sunday morning. But we've been preaching about the Monday through Saturday around here. And when you start preaching about Monday through Saturday, people say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't want to be a fanatic. I'll serve God for an hour and 15 minutes, but you want me to serve him all week long? You mean, do, you, mean to, you mean to do this thing all week long? All of a sudden, people start. And so Jesus turned to the disciples and said, are you going to leave us too? And Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Where are we going to go? I asked you a question last week. A lot of you. Um, now, let me, just go ahead and, let me just go ahead and be real. All of you. Have a place. Have some. All of, we all have things that we don't do just God's perfect way. And some of you, maybe a little bit, and some of you, maybe a lot. You know, it really don't matter. I, I mentioned last week. You know that I've found. I found it seems like, you know, the the, the deeper I go in my walk with God, and I, I really mean time wise, the longer I go in my walk with God, it takes the least little bit of disobedience to foul my life up in a huge way. Didn't take it that way back when I was a babe in Christ. But now that I'm older and I know better, oh man, I, I can just be just a little disobedient and mess up a whole lot of stuff. And here, Simon Peter is giving us the answer to our question today about why there is suffering in the world. Is He's saying, you know, we're not looking at this right, people. We're not looking at this right. Because I asked you this question last week, in the middle of all you're doing it your way, how's that working out for you? I can tell you how it's working. It ain't working for you. You got problems. You got struggles. You got battles. You're mad at your husband or you're mad at your wife. Your kids don't like you. Your dog don't even like you. you got, I mean, you got stuff. It ain't working out, is it? 
You know what the solution is? Simon Peter's giving it right here. When he says, nothing in this world is bringing life to us except you. That in the middle, see here's the thing, we need to refocus our whole, our whole attitude around this, is that it's not God who's bringing this, and it's not even God who is allowing this. Because that's what we focus on. We focus on, man, God's allowing all this stuff to happen. No, you need to get a different picture. And here's the picture you need. That in the middle of all the suffering and the pain and the sorrow and the, even the death and eternal punishment, and even in the middle of all your whining and crying about how you've made all these messes in your life and you're trying to find somebody, maybe even God, to blame it all on, in the middle of all this junk, here is Jesus Christ standing in the middle of it offering life. That's the picture that you need to have. Is He's not standing here allowing bad to happen. He is standing in the middle of the bad that is happening saying, come to me and let me give you life. And Simon Peter had it figured out when he said, you are the one who gives life. He's not standing idly by watching those kids go to bed hungry every night. But he's reaching out and saying, somebody help me get them. He's not standing idly by as those women with the horrors of rape in their past cry themselves to sleep. He's saying, somebody help me hug them and, and reach them. He stands in the middle of that offering life. Stand with me if you will. How many of you, how many of you are, would say with me this morning, you'd say, you'd say, Pastor, yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm tired of that too. I'm tired of the pain and the suffering that I've caused in my own life. And I'd like God to help me with some of it. Come on. Then let's all come to the front. Would you join me around the front? Just come to the front and say, that's me, Pastor. That's, that's me. Let me tell you, this pastor says that's me. I'm tired of suffering and pain and sorrow, the messes that I've brought into my own life. I'm tired of that. Jesus, Jesus. Now, prayer team members, come, come stand this way and face that way just in case someone wants prayer in a moment. Just so they'll know who you are. I, when I started praying in the early service this morning, to close this message, I started praying. I start the words almost came out of my mouth, God, we are tired of doing it our way. And the Holy Spirit checked me right there and said, no, you're not. And so you know what I prayed? I said, God, we are not tired of doing it our way. We like doing it our way. But we are getting tired of the messes that our way is creating. God, help us get tired of the mess a lot quicker so we'll start doing it your way instead of our way. That's the truth, isn't it? Holy Spirit, check, man. I was about to pray we're tired of it, we, but we aren't. And you aren't. You want to do it your way this week. Because you're worried God's way is going to be worse than your way. You know what? It might be, your way might be easy for five minutes. But God's way is going to be easy for the rest of your life. Whatever you do in the next five minutes, it might be easier to do it your way for the next five minutes. But do it God's way and it will be easier for you for the rest of your life. How many of you have something in your life? Some little bit of trouble or, or, or turmoil, some little problem or argument or something. Oh, I just wish that would go away. How many of you have something like that in your life? Raise your hand. Come on, get it up. Oh, I need it out of here. Dead, gone, killed. If you raised your hand a moment ago, I want you to do something symbolic. You know how we said water baptism is symbolic? It's an outward sign of something that goes on inside of us. I want you to do something symbolic. You said, I got something I want dead. 
Now, you know what? If Jesus Christ, we're, 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 if this is where Jesus was right here, you know, we kind of use this area as kind of a come into God. It's almost like we're making a statement. We're coming to God. If Jesus were standing right here, if this, was, this were the place of his presence, standing and sitting right here, can I tell you, fixing your problems, that's not the direction to go. Finding your solution is not in that direction. It is in this direction. If you raise your hand and say, I got something in my way. I want out of my way. I got some mess in my life. I got some trouble. I got some turmoil. I want you to take one step right toward, or just one, take one step straight to it. I wish all of us come step in this place right here, but we can't. You just, you know what you do? You, you're just symbolically saying, I know my solution is Jesus Christ. My solution is His way. It, it, Nobody else has my answers. Come on, somebody just say that. Amen. Nobody else has my answers. Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz do not have my answers. My counselor does not have my answers. My boss does not have my answers. Much as I love my spouse, they do not have my answers. My pastor does not even have my answers. Bow with me. Close your eyes. Some of you need, you know what, we've taken two steps already. We've taken two steps already. We stepped out. We walked this way to say, I am tired of doing it my way. But then some of you say, I got some mess in my life, and I am really tired, and I'm ready for God to help me start doing it His way. And you took another step. Some of you need to take a third step. You need to come down and find one of these prayer team members right now and say, please, agree with me in prayer that God is going to destroy this thing and get it out of my life. Not next week, not next month. i got to have some relief. Some of you need to step up right now. If you raise your hand, step up right now. Find one of these people facing this way. They want to pray with you right now. They are trained. They know how to agree with you in prayer that God is going to defeat what you what you have in your life that needs to be destroyed. Just go ahead. Come on. Come on. Step this way. Your heads are bowed. Eyes are already closed. If you're if you're not, if you're not in need of somebody to help you agree in prayer right now, then pray. Let's pray together right now in Jesus.